is Histories and Mysteries. I'm Ashley. And I'm Jessica. And on this week's episode, Ashley is going to be talking about the murder of Nikisha Hodges Hawkins. Correct. And I'm going to be talking about the redhead serial killer murders. Oh, my husband's a redhead. My daughter is a redhead. (laughs) Did they team up? Oh, probably not (laughs) considering it happened, like, I think back in the 70s or 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Neither of them were alive. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'm going to do the murder of Nikisha. Um, Her, she goes by Keisha, so that's what I'm going to call her most of the time. Um, (laughs) If you hear a little cooing in the background, that is my a baby girl, Mara. She is joining us tonight. Um, my husband's away <laughs> on business, so I have her in here with me. And she's just the sweetest little girl. She's so cute. She's uh, three months now? Yeah, she was born in she'll November. Be, yeah, she'll be three months, uh, February 11th. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I know. She's getting so big already. <laughs> but. All right. Sorry. She's very cute. Um, (laughs) So my source is actually from a Hulu documentary called Web of Death. And it's a whole series about different crimes that have to do with like the Internet. So either things were solved because of the Internet um, or like things happen because of the Internet. Um, So it was pretty interesting. It was pretty well done. we're gonna hop on into it (laughs) okay i just i love her cooing in the background (laughs) she's a talker she started talking her brother is a talker too he chats all the time and so she does too (laughs) yeah that's good yeah uh okay so this takes place in michigan city which is actually not in michigan it's in indiana you people are confusing I know, I know. And by you people, I mean you Americans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, why can't you be more creative with your town names? Why did there have to be? I'm doing some side work for my mom. Mm-hmm. And she works for a company in the States. So I have to, like, type in a bunch of different states and towns and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are so many options for the same town name. <laughs> like why does there have to be 10 of them come up with a different variation of it like (laughs) i don't understand (laughs) okay yeah we have some weird names there uh i actually just saw a meme on facebook and i didn't save it so i can't tell you any of them but there was a meme that had like the weirdest names from every state and some of them were really weird (laughs) It was funny, but all right. I so Michigan my, city. <laughs> I was going to say my favorite is dildo Newfoundland. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a dildo in the United States too. Of course there is. Yeah. They steal everything. <laughs> <laughs> Michigan city, July 24th, 2011. Nikisha. Take three. <laughs> take three. Nikisha, also known as Keisha. Um, and funny enough, my roommate in college, her name was Keisha. Anyway. Uh, came out of her room and her dad asked her where she thought she was going because it was late. And she said she was going to Papa's house and her dad was like, mm, I know you're lying. And she's like, no, I promise I'm not lying. That's where I'm going. And out she went. And he said, you know, she, he said, I love you. She said, I love you too. And then she was gone. And he said, I just, I knew in my heart she was lying. I should have stopped her. But she said she wasn't, but I just knew something was wrong. I knew she was lying, but he let her go. And unfortunately, she never came back. Mm, I don't like that. I know. Keisha was one of three and her dad described her as smart, but also a practical joker. He said she was really silly. Uh, She had a good circle of friends and they were asking where she was and if she was going to make it to this party that she was going to instead of going to Papa's. Uh, oh no yeah uh keisha's brother who was 13 at the time also was at that party i guess he left too um i i don't i don't know but um he said it was a birthday party and someone had actually posted about it on social media 
which explained how most of the people got to the party. So they posted about it. People heard about it and they like freaked out and went there. So I guess there was about 100 to 150 people there at one point. Wow. Yeah. So I think it kind of got out of hand from what they originally had wanted. Uh, And the theme was a stoplight party. Have you ever been to a stoplight party, Jessica? No, I'm really bored. I was really boring when I was younger. Like <laughs> I had multiple jobs. I volunteered at my church. <laughs> oh, you were nice. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, I have been to, I think like one stoplight party. Um, but for those of you that don't know, a stoplight party is where you wear the color of your relationship status. So, for example, if you are with someone, you wear red. If you're like kind of talking to someone, but not like really taken, you wear yellow. And if you're full on single, you wear green. Stoplight party. Weird. Oh, you've never heard of them? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stoplight party. Um, Keisha's brother said that it was really fun. Everyone was having a really great time. Everybody was dancing. And then he said some people showed up and the vibe started to diminish. She said everyone knew these people who showed up and knew that trouble tended to follow them. He said a lot of the people that were dancing kind of stopped and everybody was looking over their shoulder, waiting for something to happen. A few girls started arguing and then some guys showed up and they started arguing as well. And at this point, it got really chaotic. So the people who were hosting the party made everybody leave. They're like, get out. This is too much. I don't I don't want to deal with this anymore. Well, that's good. Yeah. But in doing so, it kind of created a bigger chaos outside because not everybody was outside and they were like walking around and trying to figure out what to go, what to do, where to go. And it was just chaotic and Around 10 p.m., Keisha called her mom and asked if she could come pick her up. And her mom was like, hmm, uh, where are you? And she said, I'm at a party and I don't want to be here. So her mom left to go get her. And that was like one of the things I thought was really cool about the relationship she had with her parents. Um, And I had this kind of relationship with my parents growing up as well that even if you were doing something you knew you weren't supposed to do, if you were like in trouble, my parents would always come to get me. And I knew that. I knew like if something really bad happened, I could go to them. And, you know, even if I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, I could go to them still. Yeah. That's kind of how we want to be with my stepson as well. Yeah. He is not into bad stuff at all, but (laughs) want him to know, like, if he does end up doing something not great, (laughs) that he can still come to us. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And then obviously we want to instill that in our daughter as well. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And they had that type of relationship with her, which is great. Um, so her mom left to go get her. And her brother said that the next thing he remembered, he heard eight or nine gunshots going off and people screaming. He said for some reason, something told him to walk towards the screams. And he looked and he recognized one of the girls screaming. It was his cousin. He said that she was screaming at the top of her lungs, saying they shot her. They shot her in the head. He walked a little farther and saw his sister laid on the ground shot. He said she was still breathing, but gasping for air. And he kneeled down beside her and held her hand and held her head until she passed. Oh, my gosh. I just got chills. I could not even imagine. I can't. And he's 13. I just. That poor babe. I know. At this time, um, officers had been dispatched because someone called and said they heard gunshots um, and that there were possible injuries. They did find Keisha on the ground, um, and they were told there was another victim on the way to the hospital. By the time Keisha's mom showed up, there was already an ambulance there, and there was a body next to it with a white sheet over it. She said she just knew. She knew who was under the sheet. She walked up moved it and saw her baby girl lying on the ground dead. It was four days before Keisha's 18th birthday. Oh, she said she had to get herself together and make the call to Calvon, who was Keisha's dad. Calvon said his phone rang. He picked it up and saw it was Janice. And all she said was Keisha's dead. The dad has so much guilt with this so much guilt he said um this girl shouldn't have left the house i knew it was all on me i should have stopped her i knew she was lying 
So he like blames himself for this. You can't blame yourself for that. I know. I know. You couldn't have known, you know. So police start their investigation. Um, apparently the kids were feuding all um all over the place. They were from two rival groups, is what they said. Um, and then a little while later, one of the police officers did say that um it was hard because the gangs aren't going to want to talk to police. So I'm not hundred percent sure if the people involved were gang affiliated or not, but it was two rival groups that were fighting. Um, they said that, again, there's probably about a hundred and 150 students at this party, but their stories were all over the place, except one name kept coming up constantly. Cameron Kent. Witnesses said that they actually saw him shoot. Some said they saw him shoot into the air. Um, the other victim that was shot said Cameron was the one who shot him. So police called him in and he eventually told authorities where he had hid uh, the gun. He had a gun. And since he was the only person who anyone had said shot a gun that night, he was charged with Keisha's death. He was 17 at the time. And apparently Cameron used to go to Keisha's to play all of the time when they were younger. And the night Keisha was murdered, he went up to her mom, hugged her and said he was sorry, but he didn't. But she didn't think anything of it because she knew Keisha was friends with him. And she was like, there's no way, like, he didn't do this. She didn't believe it when he was arrested. Uh, and she was right. Two and a half months later, the ballistic report came back and the bullet recovered from Keisha's body did not match the gun that Cameron owned. And his charges were dismissed. Interesting. Yeah. But unfortunately... Their only lead was gone. So police tried to turn back to the kids at the party, but they didn't want to, quote, snitch. So no one was coming forward with any new information. And Kelvin said that their parents also told them not to get involved. They're like, no, don't say anything. Don't get involved. So police were back to square one and had nothing. Five years later, Keisha's dad was still mad. Um, he said he couldn't grieve. He was just angry. He, there was no justice. Nobody came forward. He said 100 to 150 kids were there, and not one person can tell me who murdered my daughter. Her brother said, unfortunately, it pulled their family apart. Uh, her dad didn't want to talk. He didn't want to come out of his room. He just, and even he said, he said, I just wanted to wallow. Uh, he blamed himself. He felt that he should have protected her, and he thought that. Uh, his thought was like, this is why I was so strict. It was to prevent something like this. And it still happened. And he felt like he failed the whole family. Uh, And Keisha's brother said that he had a lot of resentment because of his father's actions after Keisha died. Um, He said, you know, you have other kids and you're, you know, basically holed up in your room. But he said he saw his mom and he saw his mom keeping it together. And um, he said, quote, she was a woman of strength. She showed me that I needed to be a man of strength and being a support system for my family. Oh, that's yeah. so sweet. Yeah. One of Keisha's friends who was in college now said that all of a sudden someone made a slam page on Facebook. Now, I didn't know what slam pages were. Do you know what those are, Jessica? I'm assuming it's to like crap on somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently it's a page that's anonymous, which I didn't even know you could do on Facebook where people write things about different people and, you know, none of it's good. And all of the start sudden Calvin started getting tons of notifications and he noticed that on this page, they were talking about Keisha's death. So this was five years later. You know, your story last week was like 18 years later and this is five <laughs> years later i like a comeback story <laughs> <laughs> perfect i don't like the unsolved ones so um so the comments were saying stuff like y'all need to quit playing you know who killed her and they started dropping names and giving hints because all this was anonymous so it wasn't like they would have to be a snitch nobody would know who was talking um, and apparently someone tried to erase all the comments, but as we all know, the internet's forever. Uh, and someone took screenshots before they got deleted and sent them to Calvin. Good. So Calvin immediately takes them to the police, but the police said it was a third party or hearsay. So they didn't really want to do anything with it. 
But like, I mean, I get what they're saying as far as for like court, but I feel like it could help steer your investigation. You have nothing. It's been five years, you know? Yeah. Like you would think that any little bit would have been yeah. super helpful. Yeah. Um, and so apparently he went to the cops many times and they were just not helpful. And he went back the next day and asked if they were going to help one more time. And they basically said no. And he's like, fine, I'm going to do something about it then. And this was when Facebook Live was like really just starting to be a thing. And he didn't even really know what it was, but he was like live and clicked it. And he went live and he started talking. He was basically in tears. It was really sad. He was in front of the police station saying that like they wouldn't help. They won't do anything for her. Um, You know, a detective came out and was like, hey, do you want to talk to a detective? He's like, I don't want to talk to that detective. He's not going to do anything. And he's like, well, what if we get another detective for you? And he's like, yeah, you know, I just I want someone to help me. And this Facebook Live ended up getting 85,000 views. And people from, like, all the way to Dubai were watching. Um, I think part of it was his passion and, you know, his tears and everybody seeing it. And part of it was that Facebook Live was so new. People were like, what's this, you know? Mm -hmm. And this started a community movement. People started showing up up at the police station protesting with him. Um, it became like a whole community thing and they were really putting pressure on the prosecutors and the police. And finally they decided to put new detectives on the case. Good. It's really frustrating though, that that is what needs to happen Yeah, to get shit done. Yeah. Yeah. This should have, you know, happened in the first place because these detectives, um, when they took over, there were two women and, um, they said, that this was the first time that they had ever just completely started over when given a case. So I'm assuming the original casework was not like super great. I mean, I could be wrong. I could be, you know, completely wrong in my assumption here, but um, she said that it was the first time that she ever completely started over. I mean, it's probably accurate considering the detective just dismissed him. Yeah. Probably just didn't give a crap. Yeah. So they went over every piece of evidence that the police had found and decided to start at square one. They re-listened to over 140 interviews. They re-interviewed everybody that was on the scene that they still had contact with. Um, And in 2011, police had written down two eyewitnesses who had come forward to talk. Skyesha Pender and Michael Cooper. Michael Cooper said the shooter was a guy named Charles Guerin. He said that he saw Charles shoot into the crowd, but his statement was not corroborated at the time. The new detective said that Michael was not unknown by the police, even at 16 years old. So I think that they didn't really take him seriously when he said what he said. Mm -hmm. And Skyesha just said that she had heard shots, but that was really all she had given the only information she gave. So nothing really came of it. But when these new detectives re-interviewed Skyesha in 2016, uh, they said she was really hard to get to talk, but eventually she talked. She said that in 2011, she was in a relationship with Charles Guerin. Uh, she said that he was at the party, or sorry, she was at the party and then he showed up. But when the party was broken up, she said like 75, 100, 150 kids were spread outside and down the street. She said she heard what sounded like firecrackers down the hill and then three loud gunshots that were close by. She says she looked at it and saw Charles Guerin shooting into the crowd down the hill and then running off. So now this is two people saying that they saw Charles Guerin. And we, with these two statements saying that they saw Charles Guerin, like two people saying the same person at two different times, like they weren't, you know, together when they said it. They said they had enough evidence and they arrested Charles. So why didn't the why didn't this Charles guy come up the first time? I think because only one person mentioned him and the one oh, person that mentioned him. Yeah, him. yeah, she didn't say it. Yeah. So she didn't okay. say anything until 2016. So they arrested him on just that evidence. Um, but the thing about it is this was five years since Keisha's murder this arrest happened one month after 
Calvan went live. So that's how quick it moved once he went live on Facebook. That's disgusting. Yeah. It's horrifying that you have to go to such great lengths. Yeah. To get something taken care of. That should already be taken care of. Yeah. And where was this? Virginia or? Indiana. Indiana. What kind of state are they? I'm trying to think. They're like, they're in the Midwest. I'm trying to think politically which way they lean. They're kind of one of those like. Meh. Yeah. Sorry, Indiana. They're like, there's nothing really special about them. Like, (laughs) it's not like, I don't even know politically which way they lean, to be honest. What place has the cheese? Is that Georgia? That's Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to go to Wisconsin. (laughs) I've never been, but I've heard they have great cheese. Really? Yeah, I've never been to Wisconsin. Oh, maybe we should go, Ashley. Let's go get cheese. (laughs) Anyways, I'm just in my mind, I'm kind of thinking that it might have had that kind of sway Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why, you know, this older detective guy. Because typically you do need to be a bit older to be a detective. Mm-hmm. Um, has some prejudices. And... Yeah, and they didn't show him. He wasn't in this documentary at all. Um, they didn't even give his name. So I don't know who he is. I'm just wondering if maybe that has yeah. something to do with it. Possibly, yeah. And I know Michigan City isn't like a great area. So I know there's a lot of like crime and he may have just been like... Well, and that's you the know. thing, right? Because you were saying that it was the two different rival groups, right? Yeah. Whether it was gang related or not, and he was probably just yeah over yeah. it or paid yeah. off. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, and Kelvin did say that Charles were bad. Um, he said he was bad uh, in his like group of friends. He said they would run around town and terrorize the community, which is why people were probably afraid to come forward. So detectives went out to Michael's place. The other guy who had said that it was Charles uh, back in 2011, they went back out to his place and they're like, Hey, just so you know, we filed charges based on your statement. And he no. was like, no, yeah, no, he recanted no. and he said he made it up. And he said, this like really irritated me. He said, I told you what I had five and a half years ago, and you didn't think that was enough. I've moved on. Basically, like, leave me alone. But the whole thing, like, was more of like a, well, you didn't believe me the first time, so now I don't care anymore, which is super shitty, I think. I don't want to be involved in the court case. Mm -hmm. So now they just had one story that was uncooperated, right? Because nobody else had said it. Um. And she didn't say anything for five and a half years. So it wasn't a great case because that's all they had. That was it. And now they're split up. So maybe there's bad blood there. Yeah. Mm. So prosecution was debating what they should do. Do they dismiss the case and wait for possibly more evidence or do they make a plea deal? And they made a plea deal for criminal recklessness instead of homicide. And he took it. He pled guilty to that. So what is that? Well, we're not done. Okay. (laughs) Calvan went back to Facebook in tears saying that basically they said his baby's life isn't worth anything. And he said, this isn't over till I say it's over. Um, He said, how could my daughter's murder be seen as unsolved when a hundred to 150 people saw her murder? Calvan and the community actually called for the court to reject the plea agreement. Because so... For those of you that don't know, when when prosecution offers a plea deal and defense takes it, the judge still has to sign off on that. And he can dismiss it if he wants uh, or like say disregard it. But generally that doesn't happen. But this judge said, no, I'm not taking that plea agreement. We're we're um, going to court. Wow. So then the prosecution did have to decide, okay, well, now are we going to dismiss it or are we going to go forward? And they decided to go forward. So September 2017, they sent a subpoena to Michael to interview, um, and he didn't show up. Obviously, he wanted nothing to do with it. 
And they actually arrested him on something really minor and weren't able to bring him back to Indiana from Kentucky because of that. And once he was back <laughs> in Indiana, they were able to sit down and speak to him. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. <laughs> we and, saw you litter on the road. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go. <laughs> so prosecution kind of played to his ego. And they said, like, we know you said something five years ago and no one listened. But, like, we believe you now. Um, you know, we're, we're listening. We believe you, blah, blah, blah. And so he decided to go back on the record with what he saw. But they still didn't have any physical evidence. The only thing they had was these two people saying they saw it. That's it. They didn't have a murder weapon, nothing. Um, And another issue that they had was that the shooter, someone said, was wearing plaid that night. But Charles was seen leaving the police station where he had been questioned that night because they brought in a bunch of people to question. And he was wearing bright green. So, like, well, the shooters were in plaid. He's wearing bright green. Like, you know. Hmm. Interesting. Then the Friday before their Monday trial prosecution, the, or sorry, the Friday before their Monday trial prosecution met with Skyisha one more time. And they said, hey, you know, do you have any pictures from your phone? You know, maybe we can see Charles. Maybe he is wearing plaid at that time, you know, and he just changed or whatever. And she's like, she didn't. Because this was like five, five and a half years ago. So then this is really interesting. Prosecution remembered at the party, there was a photo booth. And so he said, hey, did you guys use the photo booth? Did you take any pictures with Charles? And she said, yeah, I did. And he was like, well, do you have those pictures? And she's like, no, because when I knew what happened, I went to where Keisha was laying and I chucked the pictures down because I knew Charles had done it. And prosecution remembered that in the crime scene photos, there was a picture of a white envelope with pictures in it. So they went back through the evidence. They found the white envelope with the pictures in it. And sure enough, there was Charles wearing a plaid shirt. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, I thought that was really cool, too. So now they had him wearing the plaid shirt that eyewitnesses said the shooter was wearing. And they had the two eyewitness accounts. So we don't know. Do we know why he did it? Um, <clears throat> I think he was just shooting and she was got, you know, was at the wrong place at the wrong time. I don't think he meant to kill her. Um, I don't know that for sure, though. They didn't really talk about why. But um, prosecution was also able to show that Charles did have a gun before the party. So. All they had was these two witnesses, a picture where he's wearing plaid and no, and the knowledge that he had a gun before the party. What do you think they, the jury came to the conclusion of? I mean, logically it would be guilty, but I'm fearing for what's about to be coming out of your mouth. So, (laughs) well, he was found guilty. Okay. And he was sentenced to 50 years. And in 2018, his appeal was denied. Um, the verdict came back on Kelvon's birthday. So he said it was the best birthday present he could have gotten. Aww. I I think he did it. I think she I think she was like a innocent bystander that got shot. I don't know as a jury if I could say like beyond a reasonable doubt he did it because they didn't have a lot of evidence i mean i feel like they had enough yeah it would have beyond a reasonable doubt for you yeah i mean there might have been some doubt because i like to see the good in people (laughs) um but i think based off of his previous history the proof that they had that he had a gun Mm -hmm. um the eyewitness accounts of the shooter wearing plaid pictures of him in the plaid shirt i mean yes there could have been other people wearing plaid but it's very weird that he didn't have the plaid shirt when he went to the police station yeah yeah right so in that mind in my mind that equals guilt yeah what's he hiding Yeah. yeah um 
yeah, so as of now, uh, he is still in prison for the murder of Keisha. That's crazy. Yeah. I hate, I hate just mindless things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like you she know, was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. easy. It's easier to understand somebody when they have motive. Mm-hmm. But when they just do it mindlessly, it's mm-hmm. just why? What is the point? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So that oh. is the story. And if you uh, want to watch the documentary, it's really good. They do a lot of interviews with Janice, her mom, her brother, and um, Calvin, her dad. Uh, it's really good. So check it out. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear about these shifty redheads. Yeah, and if uh, anybody's wondering what the hell is wrong with me, <laughs> um, according to Ashley, I have the plague family, <laughs> and a cold has ravaged through our whole house, and I am the only one that got laryngitis from it. <sighs> poor thing. And Ashley can attest that I do sound a lot better than a few days ago. She does, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And considering that I've been at work the last two days talking nonstop, it's a miracle. It's as good <laughs> as it is. <laughs> so pardon the raspy voice. My coworker said it's a very sexy, sensual it voice. It is now. a very sexy voice. The only time you can like really, really tell is when you laugh and you yeah. do like the softer <laughs> laugh and yeah. your voice like squeaks. <laughs> yeah, my voice cracks a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. So my sources are all that's interesting a e t v like their real crime show mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm. um and the smithsonian magazine oh love me some smithsonian me too can't wait to go to the smithsonian i know we're gonna check them out when you come i'm so excited that's awesome i'm literally so excited this is gonna be so fun i'm so excited <laughs> me too <laughs> oh if anybody wants to know the real um the real Ashley, she called me a bitch today because she <laughs> <said> I- <laughs> okay. First of all, I called you a sentimental bitch because <laughs> I said I was gonna cry when I saw her. And I said, "Of course you are, because you're a sentimental bitch." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> it's true. Okay, <laughs> it's very sweet. Oh, anyways. I'm excited. I yeah, think our too. kids are going to have a great time. I do too. Our hubbies can play games together. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be so fun. I'm excited. Me too. Anyways, so let's talk about serial killing. Yeah. Few serial killings are as enigmatic as the 1980s redhead murders case. According to the moniker, the 6 to 11 unsolved murders of redhead women that occurred along busy roads in the United States in the 1980s. Oh, no. I thought that the killers were redheads, not that the victims were redheads. Oh, no. The victims are redheads. Oh, well, now I feel bad about saying, (laughs) what did I say? Sketchy redheads. (laughs) And that Cody and Evie were involved. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Um, many of these victims who were frequently hitchhikers or prostitutes were never recognized because it was impossible to contact their families to confirm their identities. Hmm. Many people conjectured that the murderer was a truck driver based on where the remains of the victims were found. In Wetzel County, West Virginia, near Littleton, which is three and a half hours from Ashley. Oh, creepy. On February 13th, 1983, a naked body of an unnamed white woman was discovered alongside Route 250. This crime would ultimately be linked to this particular killer. Her hair was more of an auburn tone than true red, just like a lot of the other redhead murders. Mm. Although the exact cause of her death is unknown, it is most likely that she was choked to death. Oh, that's a horrible way to go. After locals claimed to have seen a white man about five foot six inches tall, close to the scene where the body was discovered, one person of interest in the case surfaced. However, 
No name was ever given for this man. Oh. Another woman identified as 28-year-old Lisa Nichols was found strangled to death along Interstate 40 close to West Memphis, Arkansas, a year later in 1984. Oh, wow. He's really moving. Yeah. With strawberry blonde hair, Nichols was probably picked up while traveling before her death. Her body was discovered wearing only a jumper, continuing the trend of victims being discovered completely naked. Which is awful. Yeah. When two Jane Doe's were found by Interstate 75 in Campbell County, Tennessee in 1985, two more homicides were linked to this spree. One of the victims had short red hair, but it was impossible to tell what hair color the other victim had due to the condition of her body. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. Ugh. Although the cause of both individuals' deaths is unknown and foul play was strongly suggested, they were both found dressed, which isn't really the same MO. Oh, okay. So do they contribute this or attribute this to that killer or not we'll really? find out. Oh, okay. Yes, I have more. <laughs> Imagine, end of story. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> oh, jeez. According to the TBI, which is the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, new evidence showed that one of these Jane Doe's bodies that was found and strangled along Interstate 75 in Campbell County was Tina Marie McKenney Farmer. The Indiana native was only 21 years old, and they made this discovery in 2018. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. In March of that year, investigators got what they thought would be their first significant lead in the case back in 1985. In Knox County, Tennessee, on March 6th, Linda Shack, another redhead, stated to authorities that Jerry Leon Johns, a 37-year-old truck driver, had tried to strangle her with her own shredded shirt before throwing what he believed to be her dead body on the side of Interstate 40. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Shaq amazingly escaped her attack and managed to get in touch with the police, who swiftly took Johns into custody. Despite the fact that his attempted murder followed the same pattern as the redhead murders, police did not consider him a suspect in those other brutal murders since he had an airtight alibi for when they happened. When he was being questioned, they said about him. So like the investigator said, he was very cocky and he wouldn't admit to anything. Anytime we'd get into the motive or why did you do what you did, he wouldn't answer. Oh. Johns ended up dying in prison in 2015 while he served time for aggravated kidnapping and assault. Oh. Yeah. So. May not have been attributed to the murders, but he did kidnap this poor lady. Yeah, yeah. The murders persisted unabated, and on March 31st, a skeletonized body of another redheaded woman was discovered in Tennessee next to Interstate 24. So the murders continued even after he went into prison. Yeah. Okay, so it obviously wasn't him. Well, yeah, like... I don't know because I don't know when he went into prison. I'm assuming he went into prison after that girl escaped. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay. But they don't attribute him to any of the other ones. And I mean, okay. he did have alibis. So, okay. Yeah, because he's a truck driver. Right? He could have had the logs and everything. Yeah. And so, okay. Two additional redheaded victims were discovered the following month. One of them was a tall, red-haired woman whose body was discovered in a white refrigerator that had been abandoned next to Kentucky's Route 25. She died from suffocation, just like many of the other victims. The other was located in Tennessee's Greene County. She was killed by blunt force trauma and had light brown to blonde hair with red red highlights. These two victims were never given names. It's so sad. So that means there's two families out there that never have any closure about what happened to their loved one. 
I think we honestly do find out about one of them. Okay. I think we find out about the girl in the refrigerator. Okay. I could be wrong, but sorry. I researched this like a month ago. It's a surprise to me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, police from the states where these victims were located came together in the same month these remains were found to approach the FBI for assistance in figuring out whether these redhead murders were connected. To ascertain whether these awful crimes were connected, the FBI and 21 representatives from Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, and Arkansas held a six-hour meeting in Tennessee on April 24th, 1985. Wow. And their findings were inconclusive. Oh, my gosh. Six hours. Yeah. Dang. Steve Watson, deputy director of the TBI, said, while there are some similarities in the cases, there's also a great number of dissimilarities. Yeah. Even though the redhead murders had a memorable moniker, only three of the victims who were at the time thought to be related to the serial killings actually had red hair. Oh. The others were strawberry blonde or dark-haired girls. Oh. Numerous other differences existed between the killings, such as the fact that some victims were discovered dressed and others were not. And some victims had experienced sexual assault or had engaged in sexual activity just before their deaths, while others had not. And you do see that sometimes where they kind of go random, but that's just so rare. It's so rare, especially if you're going for like a specific type, right? Yeah, yeah. The redhead murders have been connected to a number of other unsolved killings that are comparable to these homicides in terms of the technique of the killing, the location of the bodies to the highway, or the victim's red hair. One of these latter discoveries that was particularly interesting included a body discovered in February 1985 in DeSoto County, Mississippi, alongside U.S. Route 78. She also died from being strangled next to a busy highway, and she had strawberry blonde hair. Mm. This string of horrific murders of young women stunned a country that was still coming to terms with the reality of contemporary serial killers. Yeah, they were everywhere in the 70s and 80s, I feel. Even though it is unknown whether any or all of these deaths were even connected. Yeah. Right? Because it could have just been... A horrible coincidence. Yeah. If they are unrelated, then the murders at the very least provide a glimpse of the often overlooked homicides of women in precarious situations that take place all over the world. Yeah. Right? Because a lot of these women were destitutes, prostitutes, just wanderers, right? Yeah. Um. Since many of these women were sex workers or drifters who were frequently separated from any family they may have had, it is thought that that's maybe why they were unidentifiable. Yeah. As Watson said of the murders, quote, these people tend to have a lifestyle not sufficiently tied to others who would be willing to report them being missing. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't really like that he said these people, but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think like he maybe meant like more in the sense of like these people, like these victims. Yeah. Yeah. More specifically, you know? Yeah. I know it could have been these women, but yeah. (laughs) While there might be a real redhead murderer, the media frenzy around these tragedies may have only highlighted the number of unrelated murders of the women that society rejects. Yeah. So like you and I were talking about earlier, it could have been, you know, the frenzy of the new serial killer age, or it could have just been, yeah, one awful person. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's easier to tr- try and believe that it's one awful person than it's like we have a murder epidemic of, you know, sex yeah. workers in our country. Yeah. Which we do. But I think it's harder to come to terms with that. Yeah. Then it is like one evil monster, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it's 
for some reason, it's less terrifying if it's one. Mm -hmm. Because you can make him like the boogeyman, you know? He's just one boogeyman, one monster. Yeah. It's not a culture issue. It's like Ashley with the apocalypse. She could think that she could take on the zombies. I could. I would survive. (laughs) I'd kick some butt. I would not. (laughs) (laughs) I would just curl up and die. (laughs) (laughs) Take me, zombies. (laughs) I saw yeah. this TikTok that he's like, you know, every person that uh, is in like an apocalyptic type show, they're always like fighting so hard every day for life. He's like, I don't want to fight that hard. Take me out the first day. I'm gone. It's fine. Take me out. I don't want to deal with that. Literally. <laughs> it is estimated that there were between six and 11 redhead murders, eight of which were speculated to have been committed by the same person. Okay. Including Tina Farmer. Who we spoke about earlier. Mm-hmm. Other women have been linked to these murders. So there were some in this list that they just said were unidentifiable. Mm-hmm. And I already mentioned them. So I'm just going to talk about the ones that were able to be identified. Gotcha. So SB Regina Black Pilgrim, 28 years old. This North Carolina woman's body was the one that was found in the refrigerator in a dumping area along Route 25 in Knox County, Kentucky, but she wasn't identified until 2018. Wow. Elizabeth Lamott, 17. She was from New Hampshire, and her body was found on April 14, 1985, along Interstate 81 in Greene County, Tennessee. She had been staying at a group home in Manchester. And she was also identified in 2018. She had dark hair with reddish tints. The AE article that I read indicated that they asked forensic forensic psychologist Joni Johnston about the plausibility of a murderer fixated on redheads. Mm -hmm. And they said, quote, the idea that serial killers wait for the perfect victim is overrated. It's true that some sexually motivated serial killers do seem to have a fantasy of an ideal victim based on race, gender, certain physical characteristics, or some other special quality. But these preferences usually evolve over time. Hmm. At first, a serial killer's victim's choice may seem almost random. As his killings, as his killing career progresses, and he develops confidence in his ability to lure or kidnap a victim. Some serial killers narrow down the type of victim they prefer and will stalk a more specific type of victim. Got it. And that redhead killer didn't seem to follow that pattern. It didn't really get more specific. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, like, it's really creepy to think about the whole stalking aspect of it. Like. It's just even creepier when they plan it. That's um like the Idaho murders that they're going, that are being investigated and everything right now. They're saying that he stalked them for quite a while before he murdered them. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, um, I think his name is Russell Williams. He was um, a serial killer from Canada. Mm. Um, I think from Pembroke area, but he stalked his victims too. Yeah. It's just so creepy to think that like someone could be watching you right now, like with the intent with bad intentions. Yeah. And you have no idea. It's awful. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> On a side note from all of this. <laughs> I was wondering how they determined someone's hair color if they're a skeleton. And I know if they're a more recent one that the hair is still attached and you can likely tell the color. Right. But I was wondering of the really, really old ones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, me being like really into history, I had to detour a little bit on this. Yeah. What'd you find? (laughs) Um, So I found that researchers from Poland and the Netherlands have been able to identify the hair and eye colors of people who lived as long as 800 years ago. How? By adopting DNA analysis techniques initially created for forensic investigations. Oh, interesting. 
the approach used by the researchers look at t- looks at 24 regions of the human genome that differ between people and affect things like eye and hair color. The technology is sensitive enough to generate this information from genetic samples acquired from either teeth or bone that are several centuries old. Despite the fact that this DNA degrades over time, although the most degraded samples can only determine eye color. Oh, interesting. But still super cool. Yeah, that is super cool. And aside from that little detour, that's my story. And if you want a more detailed look on the redhead murders, you can listen to the podcast Foul Play Crime Series Season 1. Oh. It's not sponsored. <laughs> but this guy focuses on specific crimes and he does a season at a time and then multiple episodes about that one topic. Oh, I like those. Yeah. So if you want to listen to him, go for it. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Well, that was very interesting. Thanks. Yeah. Do you have any jokes? Because as usual, I do not. Um, Ashley. Jessica. Why did the chicken cross the road? Why? Because. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, okay, Ashley. Okay. What do you call a sad coffee? A depresso? Yeah. Ah! <laughs> what is a DJ's favorite sauce? Uh, I don't know. Marinara. Oh <laughs> Do that again. <laughs> Marinara. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's great. (laughs) What do you call a pile of kittens? Adorable. But I don't know what. A meowton. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's great. My my friend sent me those today and I'm like, yeah, I gotta use those. (laughs) Well, thanks to your friend. I liked those. Oh, you're welcome. Well, if you want more of us lovely ladies, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to rate and review us, you can do so on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we look forward to bringing you two new stories next week. Bye. Bye.